0: Let's dive into the scriptures, shall we? We are talking week by week. Uh, we are talking about a series. We're talking about a, a series of moments in the scriptures where Jesus was unrecognizable by people, where people looked at Jesus but they didn't know it was Jesus. There's five moments that that happens really prominently in the scriptures. Three of them come right after the resurrection. Uh, one comes in a story that Jesus tells, and one comes quite a bit after the resurrection itself. But the point of these conversations is asking the question of, what does it look like to learn how to have eyes to see Jesus? What does it look like to walk through times where Jesus is difficult to recognize? I think sometimes in our world right now, it's hard to see where God's at work. And, uh, and sometimes the scriptures tell us that Jesus is right in front of us, that, that, that God's always at work, but often we miss that. And so we're taking a look at these stories and saying, what were the characteristics of those who eventually did recognize Jesus and why did they miss Jesus? So two weeks ago, we looked at Mary uh, in, in front of the tomb uh, at the garden and she, or at, um, at, at the, the burial site, and she sees Jesus as a gardener but doesn't know it's him. And we talked about what it means to, to walk around with assumptions of death. So in that moment, Mary had the assumption of death. She thought that the best thing that she could possibly find was going to be the body of Jesus. So when Jesus was standing right in front of her, she didn't have the imagination to actually recognize Jesus. She didn't have the hope to be able to look and see that life was bursting forth. And we don't fault her for that, but we know on this side of it that we get to not walk around with the assumptions of death in our world, but we get to walk around with the assumption of life and resurrection and live accordingly, and we see God in new ways. Then last week, we talked about the two disciples that met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and as they walked around, um, Jesus meets up with them and begins opening two things. He opens their minds by opening the scriptures to them about himself— as they walk, and then when they share a meal, he opens their eyes to recognize Jesus. So those two ideas were the importance of both purpose, um, or I, I would say, no, we'll, we'll say this, the importance of understanding the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, and the importance of communing with Jesus personally to experience God, God's self. So, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the idea behind, behind all of this. So, that's our recap. This week, let's go into John 21, shall we? It's going to be fun. All right, uh, so we've got this story again. Jesus has risen, all right? We are in post-resurrection land. We're in John 21. This is actually just shortly after the Mary story. And we're told that afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Remember, a number of the disciples were fishermen by trade. They were fishermen by trade because they had been rejected by the Torah school, Torah meaning the study of the scriptures. If you were really sharp, you would continue in your education all the way up to possibly becoming a rabbi. But if you weren't, you were told to go back to the family trade. Thanks for trying. Be a faithful God follower. And so this was the story that all of these disciples that Jesus would later call had already experienced and been told working in the family trade. So we've got Simon Peter and Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, that means James and John, and two other unnamed disciples are are together here. Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, even though Jesus has appeared to some of the disciples, this is the first time Peter enters the story. Remember, Peter denied Jesus. So as far as we know, we we can't prove this, but I believe that there's a really high likelihood that Peter... By doing that action, by disowning Jesus, he removed himself from being a follower of Christ. So there is high likelihood that Peter has not been present yet with the disciples for any of the resurrection experiences. So even though Jesus has appeared to his disciples, uh, to to Mary, and then it says he appeared one more time, um, when Peter disowns Jesus, we hear nothing, we hear nothing from Peter again until this moment in the story. So Peter is back with the disciples. We don't know if he's seen Jesus or not, but he certainly hasn't spoken with Jesus at all since he said, I don't know the man. Okay? And, uh, and he says, I'm going out to fish. I'm going to do the thing that I've always known. The thing I'm most comfortable to. Do you, ha- do you have moments where when you aren't sure what to do, you go back to something that is so familiar that just is, I just need to go to this place or I need to I need to, um, I mean, for me, it's I need to go out into the woods. I need to go for a run. When I don't know what to do, I just need to get away because that's a familiar thing that's been a part of my life for 25 years. So what are, these, what are those things that you say I'm just going to go and do? Peter says it's fishing. I'm going to go clear my head. And as often happens when you're not in a great spot, they don't have a good experience. So they go out, and he's got some other disciples with him, and they go out, and they it says that night they caught nothing. So they're out, they're out fishing all night and they're catching nothing. Early in the morning, so we're thinking as the sun is slowly starting to rise during the dawn time when fish ought to be biting but still haven't, and they're not biting because they're casting nets, so they're not fishing with worms. But uh, fish ought to be flocking, schooling, schooling. Flocking is birds. Okay, now we're on track. And so anyways, they're not catching anything. And they're pros. They, sh- they should know what they're doing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. Okay, so here's our moment. So Jesus is there, post-resurrection. Somehow he doesn't look exactly the same. There's a lot of mystery with this, with the resurrected Jesus. Still very human, bears the marks of of the crucified Christ, but is also different. And, uh, And so anyways, he's on the shore. He's fairly far away, but we can... We can surmise that for some reason the disciples don't, don't recognize him. Maybe because of distance, but probably because of something else. And he calls out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Maybe, they, you know, we don't talk about this. It, maybe they're just really lousy fishermen. Like, they, they, had a, they had a tough time. Maybe they're just bad fishermen their whole lives, and, uh, and, and so Jesus wants to, to help them out, but nobody ever talks about the, the lack of skill that maybe Peter had as a, as a fisherman. Maybe it was not the right way to, uh, to try to make a living for him. So Jesus then says, actually, um, sorry, there's, there's your slide to catch up. Jesus says, friends, haven't you any fish? And they answer, no. And he says, Why don't you try to throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now when you hear that, does anything ring a bell? It should. If you're in the scriptures enough, if you're in the gospels enough, that phrase should ring a bell because guess what? At the beginning of the uh, experience of Jesus with Peter, Jesus and Peter meet and on the first day that they meet, Jesus hops on board, kind of commandeers the boat because he's got a speaking gig and after that, Peter's not been able to catch anything, and here's what happens in Luke 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let the nets down, and he says, we have worked hard all night. I really am telling you, there's no fish that are out there today. There's just no chance of catching anything, (sighs) but because you say so, I'll let down the nets, and when they do, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners to come out and help them. He came and filled the boats, so full they began to sink. And Peter's response to this is, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinful man. He knows that he is in the presence of holiness. He doesn't know exactly what it means. <laughs> he didn't know that he was actually in the presence of God at that moment, but he knew that he was in the presence of one whose, God, who, one whose God, God's hand was on. One for whom God's hand was on. So Peter has this experience. And so Jesus says, at the end of all of this, cast your nets out. And it's in that moment, what, not, not at that moment, I should say. Here. Friends, have you any fish? Throw your net out and you'll find some. And here's what happens. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. It happened again. And after it happens, one of the disciples, which is John, who in his own gospel, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Not because he wanted to play favorites, but because that was his identity mark, his name in his mind. I am one loved by God. Beautiful, but that's a different message. He says to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter saw, classic Peter moment, he jumps in, he he wraps his garment around him wasn't wearing much at the time. He jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I just want to talk about about something here. First of all, Peter's excitement is so beautiful in this moment because Galileans were known as horrible swimmers. They hated the they hated the sea. They hated the ocean. Even the fishermen community didn't like going in the water because water was chaotic and there were things under the surface that you couldn't see. So even those in boats, not great, not not a love of swimming. And so I can just kind of imagine Peter jumping in because he's so excited, but he's not a great swimmer, and so it's only a few, a few seconds later before the guys in the rowboat catch up to him, but he was just so excited that he wanted to, wanted to get to the shore. They're like, Peter, do you want to just jump back on, and we'll take you the rest of the way? It's, no, no, no. It probably didn't happen like that, but I love Peter's personality that comes out in the scriptures, and I love imagining his excitement. So anyways, what's behind all of this? The disciples, they recognized Jesus full of awe and wonder. And up to this point, there's two things that bring about their recognition. The first thing was really, really simple. When Jesus told them to do something, they obeyed. They listened. We, in our world, we often say seeing is believing, right? You're all familiar with that phrase, all right? But in, in the kingdom of God, in the gospels, doing is often seeing all right follow me here so so instead of just seeing is believing doing is what often allows people in the gospels to see it's once we experience once we participate in something we start to see who god is that's obedience often comes before the encounter That's why inviting people into kind of church compassion expressions, that needs to be one of the first steps that we do with people as they're exploring faith. Come and serve with us. Come alongside us. Come and participate in the kingdom, and then you might actually get a taste for how good God is. Uh, One of the things that we've talked about at LifePath for years is that one of our values is that belonging comes before believing. Many people have had church experiences, unfortunately, where believing must come before belonging. I have to agree and believe everything, and then I'm welcomed into the group. And if I don't, if I have questions, if I ask the things that I'm not supposed to be asking in church, then I'm kind of held at arm's length, and I don't feel like I can actually belong. But when we invite people to belong with us, come and participate in community life. Come and pray, even if you're not sure God is there. Come and serve, even if you don't know why that's so important to us. What ends up happening is you end up getting an experience of how God designed you to live and it begins to open your eyes to the beauty of the living God. And so we have these things happen where first we invite people to do. Jesus tells us to do these things, so let's participate in them and do them and then when we are doing them, often our eyes will be opened and we will start to see how good and beautiful God is. This is why obedience matters. This is why taking the teachings of Jesus matters so much. Um, We get to see a taste of how good God is and God's kingdom is, not when we learn about it, but when we participate in it. It's an experiential kingdom. That's why Jesus, right off the bat, you're going to hear the link to this story, but when he's feeding the 5,000, he says, you give them something to eat. Because he knows that they can watch him and be in awe. But when they participate in it, they've got, they've got stake in the game now. And, and it changes things when they experience being a part of what God's doing, not just watching it or hearing about it. It's beautiful. The entire story of the, of the fish, both times, the original calling of Peter and the second calling of, of Peter and his disciples, is founded on this idea of Jesus saying, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to listen to what I say and believe it, all right? And belief, again, I, I talk about this frequently. Belief in the, in the scriptures is the same word as trust, okay? Same word. It's, the Greek word is pistuo. It means to believe or to trust because believing happened in a certain way, uh, I grew up on Aladdin, the, the animated movie, like literally grew up on it. I watched that movie all the time. I know every word. And there's this one scene when Aladdin and Jasmine are running away from the people trying to get him because he stole an apple or something like that. And they're on the top of a, of a building and he knows how to get away and they're cornered. And he looks at Jasmine and he says, do you trust me? And he reaches his hand out and she says, yes. And he says, then jump, and he grabs her, and, and they jump down, and they land on an awning and bounce around, and it's glorious and wonderful escape and all this stuff. But that's the whole, that is what believing is in Hebrew understanding. So I have a chair here. Sorry for those of you that are watching online. You, I don't believe that this chair can hold me by saying I believe the chair can hold me. How do I believe that the chair can hold me? Yeah, thank you. By sitting on it, by standing on it, by putting my weight on the chair, that is me trusting the chair. Me saying, this chair can, can hold me up. I really believe that. That's not belief scripturally. Belief is sitting. It's doing something to show I trust, okay? And so, so it's really, really important. And it's not just for the first time, like when the disciples uh, obey again here, right? It's that over and over... We get to see Jesus fresh when we just do something. Uh, next week, a week, from, a week from today, our church participates um, as one of the host churches and support churches for Family Promise, um, an organization in Delaware that exists to end homelessness. And, and our job is fairly simple. We support families that are in the program by bringing meals to them one week every three months each night and getting other, other necessities and taking care of a few extra, extra things, all right? It's, a, it's um, for most of us, I say most of us because Henry and Joan lead this group and they give an enormous amount of time and energy. For most of us, for most of us, I give a couple hours one night every three months, okay? So I'm gonna let the accolades be given to somebody else. But listen to this. This is the important thing. See, I'd like to admit that this is some kind of massive life commitment that requires me to lay down my life and and act like it's super, you know, praiseworthy and sacrificial. Um, But it's not. It's a small little moment of saying Jesus told me that primary calling for Christians is to love and care and serve the poor. So here's one way that I'm going to do something very small. And even when I don't feel like it, even when I try to come up with an excuse because my week is busy or I'm exhausted or it's complicated with children, a pro tip, being homeless is complicated with children too. But even when I want to talk myself out of it and be like, oh boy, we've got to make a meal for Family Promise this week or deliver deliver it or whatever. When I show up, so does God always. Not in some preach-worthy story, but in the little moments of realizing that at that small moment, I'm aligning myself with the teachings of Jesus, and I see and feel and sense God's presence in a real way, because that's what happens when we do something. Kids, I, I encourage you, if you want to get to know Jesus better, do something kind for somebody, even when you don't feel like it. Write a note say something nice, help somebody out, pray for someone, you won't believe what that will do to your faith. You you won't believe what it'll do. Sometimes you will feel God's presence just by doing something like that because you listen to how Jesus told us to live. Adults, same thing applies. We are in a world that is so full of views, so full of views and so barren of action. If you feel like you're not seeing Jesus Obey, Read the Gospels, do something that he' said to do, something real, something that requires you to act in some way. We need Jesus to set us free from these cycles of kind of purposeless action or, or inaction. I have a friend um, I have a friend who uh, she's a pastor in Chicago and she's been working on this kind of cycle of purposeless action, and I think she's super sharp, and, uh, and I think it can help us understand the ruts that we get caught in, because when we figure out what, what am I supposed to do, we often cycle back and forth between two things. Number one, let's start in the upper side. Do whatever I want, okay? So I'll, I'm going to do whatever I want, and then eventually I'm going to feel bad about it, <laughs> because whatever I want often kind of makes me feel yucky. It's overindulgent, or it's lazy, or even if I'm going after my bliss, I feel like it's so focused on me and, and my needs all the time that you can, feel, you can feel the lack of meaning in some of it if all that you're doing is going after what I want, just me, just my desires, and, and you sense that. And so then you get into this cycle of blame where you blame yourself and you feel lousy. And so then you change it up and let me do what everybody tells me to do, <laughs> what, whatever society says. Okay, so I'm going to do this diet and I'm going to Marie Kondo my whole house or whatever. And those things, not bad things, Not bad things, but this is what I'm going to define my life by. Whatever conventional wisdom says will make me happy. But it doesn't work because either I can't keep up with it or it doesn't actually fulfill the deepest needs in my life. And so I feel bad about the results. It leads to unhealth or it's just whatever people tell you to do. is like you have to look like a Pinterest mom or you have to, you know, everything's got to be right, whatever the case is it's just too hard. So then you blame the social standards, you blame society, and then you go back to doing what you want. And it just continues over and over and over again. I think it's really insightful. But the way out of that, the way we move beyond it, is to to essentially um, do, kick out of this any way you want, all right, to do what Jesus tells you, all right? Do something that Jesus tells you to do, and when you do what Jesus tells you to do, it leads you to both purpose and connection. All right? So all of a sudden you feel, wow, I am living the way God designed me to live. I'm forgiving others. I'm giving, I'm giving my money away to those that, that have needs. I'm encouraging one another. I'm building somebody up. I'm working for good and justice. Whatever the case is. But I also feel connected to God through that. And the gratitude that comes out of those experiences and the memories that come out of those experiences, they motivate us to keep doing what Jesus teaches us to do. Because again, it's not super heavy burdened. If we're doing it with Jesus as our partner in the book of Matthew, he says you're going to feel that the burden is actually easy and light because you are not working on all of your own strength. So there's beauty. We don't have to live in this cycle. So if you want to encounter Jesus, let me encourage you. Stop, stop talking about your views all the time and just do something Jesus tells you to do. And you may find that your faith starts to ignite again. You start to be able to see Jesus in new ways. And this is not some promise. Dwayne mentioned earlier, sometimes you do the right things and you don't have the emotional experience of this rapturous love of God. Like that's, that's not how this works. It's not an equation. But often when we move into this kind of a way of life, we allow ourselves to be in a position that more easily recognizes God at work in our midst. And we, we get to have the joy that we see the disciples have when they say, ah, we listened, we saw the fish, here's the heavy net, it's Jesus. I just lined up in the smallest way with what Jesus told me to do. And of course, if we're thinking about this in a, cinema, in a, in a cinematic kind of view, the moment that Peter tugs on the fish, you, you get this, this zoomed in shot to his mind, right? And it goes back to the first, the first moment. But then it goes to all of the other moments of Jesus and his faithfulness. Of Jesus continuing to meet and walk with Peter over and over. And the way that, that Jesus encouraged Peter and told him he was going to build the church. And, and told him that he understood the truth of God. And all of these moments that he saw Jesus' faithfulness. Because that's the second part of all of this. Um, we recognize Jesus when we obey. But we also recognize Jesus when we remember what he's done. And so Jesus sets up this experience, right? He sets up this experience in verse 10 when he says to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Let me just read it for you. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. So clearly he didn't get in the boat earlier. Um, Climbed back on, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, we'll talk about that in a moment. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, and then what does he do? He takes the bread, and he distributes it to them. He gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. He breaks the loaves, and he distributes the fish to the disciples. Do you see all the things Jesus is doing here? Don't forget Don't forget my faithfulness. Don't forget that there is enough here for you. Don't forget all the work of God. It's continuing. And so there's this memory, this idea that in order for us to recognize Jesus, we need holy reminders in our lives. We have got to keep telling the stories to ourselves and others about where we've seen God at work. Sabrina had a, we we were praying about that, had a really challenging experience that those of us that are hopping into noon prayer every day on Zoom, that we've been supporting, and she gave us this report that God showed up in this beautiful way, beautiful way to bring reconciliation and hope in a situation that seemed hopeless, and it was like, yes, we need those stories. Thank you for sharing that. We need to remember the, the ways that God has been at work, and Jesus clearly, as he reveals himself to the disciples again, he's almost... Shouting at them, remember all of the moments of my faithfulness and my love for you. It's going to continue. Now, the the moment, let me see if I can find it again here, real quick. Um, There we go. Uh, The moment of of the fish. It's been debated for hundreds of years. Different, Different theologians and church leaders have said, what's with the 153? Because it's a very specific number. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of theories. But the one that I think is the most, it's certainly supposed to be significant. The one that I think is the most significant theory came from St. Jerome. And as a result of the study, he said that there were 153 species of fish that were known at the time. And so by saying that when they hauled in the net, they had 153 fish, it was intended to symbolize that they had caught all of them. That it was the entirety of all that existed that was being brought into the net and brought in. And remember, Jesus tells his disciples earlier, he tells Peter, I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. And so it's almost this glimpse that he says, Peter, you're, maybe, maybe two things are happening. Number one, maybe he's saying, you've caught all the fish. <laughs> you've caught every species. You're done with that. Come and actually let me continue to lead you to fish for men, to, to bring in people into the kingdom. But there's another theory that you could look at it just as easily and say that the glimpse is that God is not done bringing all nations into the beauty of his kingdom. All peoples, drawing them in. Nobody is overlooked or, or not seen by God. And the disciples' job is not done. We have a lot more to do. And then, of course, he reconciles with Peter and he says, Go feed my sheep. Go lead my church and Peter becomes the most dynamic leader in the early church. It's beautiful but it's founded on Peter obeying again, just doing what Jesus said and remembering the faithfulness of Jesus over and over again. Jesus isn't far from many of us um, but we can recognize him so clearly if we choose to obey and if we choose to remember and tell those stories. So I want to invite you to do two things today. Uh, Number one, I want you to take some time personally reflecting. What is one action that you can do this week to obey Jesus? What is one action? We skipped the part that I was going to talk about a little bit where the only time Jesus gives a command in his own words, he mentions the commandments, but the only time he says this is my command is in John 13 when he says my command is that you love one another, that you put others first and care for one another in real ways. It's the only time he uses that word command. He means it to be significant. Okay, so what is one way, one action that you can do this week to actively show love and obey Jesus? Okay, Um, instead of maybe getting lost in cycles of behavior or getting lost in your thoughts. So what's one thing that you can do? It could be very simple, but choose to find, look into the scriptures, get into the gospels, and say, I'm going to do something there. I'm going to write a letter to a prisoner, because Jesus talked about visiting him in jail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give money to somebody that I know that is having a hard time in need. I'm going to write a word of encouragement. I'm going to go help somebody with something. Do something. Okay. And then the second thing is I want you to remember a time when you saw God's faithfulness in your life. And tell that story to a loved one or a friend. Okay. Today. Today. Maybe on the drive home if you're here with other people. Remember one moment where you saw God's faithfulness at work and tell somebody, okay? Just share it. Not just, you can even say, my pastor's making me do this stupid assignment. You say that. You can use me. I tell my, my kids that they can use me as the bad guy anytime they want. You can use me as your excuse. My parents won't let me go. If you don't want to go to a friend's house, say, my parents won't let me go. No problem. Use me. But, but do something to tell the story of God's faithfulness so that you might remember God's goodness and uh, be reminded that Jesus isn't done yet and there's more to discover. Let's pray. Father, we want to obey and follow the way that you've designed us to live in this beautiful kingdom of yours. We want to remember the ways you've already been at work. We want to be able to recognize you in new ways, God. We're not ashamed of that desire. We want to see you. We want to feel like we are walking close to you as your disciples. But more than that, we want to be faithful to help us catch holy glimpses and have holy reminders in our lives. Amen. Can I tell one 30-second holy reminder that I really wanted to say? Tomorrow we reach six years of our first gathering at Aspira here. Tomorrow's our sixth. We start in 2014. And Jose, who's in the back, uh, he and I were walking together earlier this week around the school um, when the teachers were, were here, and uh, and we walked past the door that we used to use at the beginning before this before this auditorium existed. It was a hallway. Now it tees and ends. It used to go straight into an old cafeteria that we met in, but I, I told him the story that this, this is the entrance we used to use. Every time I walk by that door, and I don't walk by it that much anymore because it's on the opposite side of the building. Every time I walk by that door, I remember the first time I walked in, and I remember God's faithfulness in opening doors over and over and over again for us to form meaningful relationships with this amazing school community and to serve and care for students and for staff and to pray and how they've been an encouragement to us and all the doors that have opened from something that we just couldn't find a place to stay to, to meet at that was all so that's a holy reminder that door maybe you've got holy reminders that you need to make a note of in your life where every time you walk by it you just remember God's goodness